Hey art enthusiasts, it's Mike Hindley. Welcome back to Drawing Inspiration. Each episode explores the artist's journey through interviews and personal insights. So come on in, get comfortable, and let's get inspired together. Episode 109, Finding Beauty in Brokenness with Nathan Terborg. Hey everyone, and welcome back. I hope you are doing well uh, and getting a chance to create. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Before I get into it, though, I want to just cover a few things off. And the first and probably the most significant is that this will be my last interview. So I am ending the podcast. I do have one more episode where I'm just going to talk about why I'm doing, why I'm ending and what I'm doing next. Still working on creativity, but I will go into that in more detail in the next episode. That's episode 110. So this will be the last interview. It's a bit bittersweet, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that. And uh, as I said, I'll talk about that in episode 110. The next thing I wanted to mention is that the drawing course I am doing with Etcher will begin in mid-March. So keep an eye out for that. You'll see it in Etcher's feed. So follow them on Instagram and make sure you follow me on Instagram as well. And there'll be reels they're working on right now. The way this works is there's actually five classes. There, It's the core classes and I cover different topics, obviously in each class. And then at the front of that, there is a demo and the demo is free and it's on YouTube. And it will be a chance for you to, if you saw that chickadee in my feed, which I'll link to, we're going to be drawing that together. And uh, as I suspect they always do, there's typically a giveaway that may be part of that. So that will be on YouTube. So keep an eye out for that. That is free. And so you can buy the class or you can buy access to the Etcher platform. They have a whack of really excellent artists teaching everything from ink to watercolor and to obviously graphite as well. And then the sixth class is a critique or feedback class. So it'll be an opportunity to take what you've learned over the five weeks and work on something and then be able to submit it in advance. And then I will talk through those as part of the critique or the feedback in the last session. The way it typically works in Etcher is that these are pre-recorded. So I've already recorded the whole course and it will be presented live in their platform. I think it's Saturdays at 10 a.m. Eastern. So we're trying to accommodate everyone in the world. If you miss it, you can still watch the recording. But if you are there, you have a chance to interact a little bit. But I'm really just going to be going through the video I've already recorded uh, that talks about kind of the various areas of graphite. And that is, you know, the tools I use, which will be the first class to working and understanding how the anatomy is critical and not getting too deep into that. Also exploring the idea of different textures and how to work the darks and uh, some kind of techniques that I've used. And I'm going to be covering many, many animals. They're all, I think most of them are photos that I've taken. And uh, I'll be sharing those as part of the kind of reference materials for the course as well. And as it has happened before, someone took one of those drawings in a previous course and decided to submit it into a show. And you're absolutely okay to do that. So this is going to be kind of fun. And I'll be available to provide additional kind of feedback and comments and things like that. So I'm looking forward to this course. They said it begins middle of March. And I don't think you can sign up yet, but I'm going to provide a link to the course. I think you may it may be possible it's it hasn't been officially kind of rolled out with reels in the whole bit but i think you can sign up now i'm not sure yet so you don't have to rush to it because there's no kind of limit on people attending and if you happen to miss it it'll be there as a course for you in uh, in the future if you decide you want to do each week over again or whatever the case 
Uh, I hope to have covered a lot, but I realized in doing the course, there's so much more that I could do. <laughs> and so I touch on some stuff really quickly, but I really enjoyed the opportunity and Etcher have been uh, fantastic to work with. Uh, some of the art that I've been working on, you, as I mentioned, that graphite uh, chickadee I did, which is part of the demo. And I also did a hippo and an alpaca, which was kind of fun. I, as I mentioned in numerous episodes, <laughs> I always have to come back to pencil. I just love working with pencil. So I've also done a bunch more watercolor pieces in my sketchbook from wasps to camels to rhinos to woodpeckers. And I'll continue doing that. That's a way for me to kind of keep working on and refining my skills, uh, which I, I feel like I still need to work on a lot. So I'm trying to, I don't do it every day, but I'm trying to do it as regularly as possible. And I like to do it in coffee shops because I kind of like the white noise. And I really like that kind of opportunity of being able to sketch or draw or paint out in public. And on that point, I did go out with the Ottawa Urban Sketchers. We went to the Museum of Nature and we did an activity there where we uh, we were just kind of let loose in the museum and went to draw and paint. So I went up to uh, the bird display and did a bunch of birds and it was really quick and it was very crowded uh, because it is a free evening at the museum and uh, but it was great it was it was like 30 to 40 people uh, that were part of this urban sketching group the most I've ever seen at an Ottawa uh, urban sketching event and it was just fantastic to meet meet all these wonderful artists with different techniques and different um, stories that have brought them all to the same place at the same time and uh, I hope to meet more of them as we continue kind of pulling this community together and getting out and, and urban sketching, uh, whether it's in a museum or outside once it gets warmer. It's still quite cold for us here. The Our canal is open for skating, so that kind of gives you an indication of how cold it is here. But it was, uh, it was a fantastic opportunity, and I did share that in my, uh, in my feed, my Instagram feed, as well as the watercolor pieces I talked about with the camels and rhinos and woodpeckers. Oh my... And the um, the last thing I wanted to mention is I am an ambassador for Pentel Canada, and so they sent me a 18-piece, uh, I guess, brush sign pen twin marker set. <laughs> and so it's twin because the uh, it has like a larger brush on one tip and a really fine tip on the other end of these of these markers. It is a water soluble ink, and what that means is that you can apply it to the paper and you can have like, a, let's say, an orange and a red beside each other. And then you can take out a water brush, which Pentel makes obviously as well, and you can blend them together, which is wonderful. And so I was doing that. I decided to do uh, poison dart frogs because I wanted something really bright. And I started with two and I ended up making a bunch more and I linked to that as well. And the way that I would do this is almost like watercolor, right? Working from the lights to the darks. And what's interesting though is that you have to be careful about bleeding, so you have to let it dry a little bit. Um, if you, for example, have yellow and then you drop a black uh, dot or freckle, let's say, on that yellow, you have to wait till that yellow is dry a little bit or you're going to get kind of that blooming that happens with watercolor. So you have to be careful in some of that, but you can also play with it in the sense that once you put down marker, uh, you can immediately get in with a water brush and spread it around a little bit. And so I did that to kind of get the really lighter blues and obviously mix in some uh, shading as well. And the trick with that was that I would, I had a little separate piece of, of watercolor paper, and I would, when I needed, let's say, to cast a shadow, I would decide what kind of shadow. Is it purple? Is it gray? Is it black? Is it brown? And I would just scratch that onto the paper. I would take the, the large felt tip, and I just would scratch it back and forth so that I leave like a, a swatch of, let's say, gray. And then I would immediately take the watercolor, sorry, I would take the water brush 
and dip it into the gray and then use that almost like a palette and then bring that uh, gray water brush over onto the drawing and be able to then lay it on top. So that's what I was doing to try and get the subtlety in the shadows. And when you see the shadows of the frogs, that's how I did that. Because if you apply it directly to the paper, it's going to be way too dark. So this is the way I kind of built kind of a, a palette out of a piece of paper and some swatches. So I think you could probably do the same with other marker, like water-soluble marker sets that are out there. I know Tombow make them as well. But I really liked these uh, Pentel ones. When I got them, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I did one frog, and then I did a bunch of others. So anyways, that was a lot of fun to play with. I think that's it for updates. I... Uh, Trust you will enjoy this interview, and then you'll come back for episode 110 as I talk about what's next for me in my creative journey. And so with that, uh, let's head into the interview. For this episode, I'm excited to have Nathan Terborg, an artist who stands out for his innovative use of fire and heat and his deep belief in the power of family support and creativity. Nathan shares how he finds beauty in imperfections and the importance of experimentation in art. He stresses the significance of overcoming self-censorship and the value of using video to share one's art. Nathan's approach to embracing his creative space and ignoring external opinions offers a fresh perspective on nurturing one's artistic voice. Get ready for an inspiring conversation that encourages us to explore new horizons in our own creative journeys. To talk about his creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Nathan Terborg. How are you? I'm fantastic, Mike. How are you doing? Good, good. It is such a pleasure to speak to you one-on-one. And to speak to you on video, uh, you're an amazing abstract artist, and we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff. But um, I met you through Clubhouse, and so Clubhouse is an audio app that many of us used almost every day for a period of, of time. It's kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. But I always, always enjoyed when you were in a room talking, because you had so much insight and a, a breadth of knowledge of not just art, but creativity and just being human that I always appreciated your words and your wisdom and your insight. And so I just, I, I really cherish this opportunity to spend an hour and a half with you. So thank, thank you. you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for saying that. I, um, you have given me one, uh, magic mushroom mic reference and there it is. I used it. So <laughs> now we can just move on and I'll know I can't say that again. Uh, that was one of my favorite uh, clubhouse nicknames. But yeah, I think fondly upon those those days when uh, there was a room popping, pretty much all the time. You know, that was mm-hmm. the connections. Many of the, many of those have lasted. You know, people that I still stay in. You know, whatever, whatever being in touch with on Instagram. You know, looks like. But I consider those. I mean, as as much as you can count somebody a friend that you've never you know shared oxygen with. I've got a bunch of them. You know, it's pretty. It was, it was a pretty special time. Yeah, it was. Uh it really, it was a perfect time for me in understanding creativity around the world and what people were doing. And uh, it's, I learned so much, especially like, and we're going to get into your abstract art, like just understanding that bit has been a, because I work in realism. So being able to talk through that and seeing your Instagram feed, we'll talk about that later as well, because you've, you put out so many videos and people can see the work that you're doing and it frightens me and it excites me at the same time. Um, But I'm wondering, Nathan, like, at what were you, and I obviously have to go back to the childhood again, but were you a creative child? Was this something that was in your nature beyond just being a, a curious kid? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, it's funny. I, my, my mom always says, you never met a hobby that you didn't like. And so, and, and that's really true. Like I, I pretty much did 
every everything that I could get my hands on. I would try whether it be you know sports, art, music. I mean, I I never got the the, the letter jacket in high school, but if I had, it would have. I mean, I would have filled those sleeves with pretty much everything from all the sports to also art club, choir, theater, you know, all all of the above. So yeah, so when I was a kid, I was interested in um in uh um anything that I could make with my hands. I, I grew up in a time where, you know, you'd you'd get breakfast in the summertime, you would be sent out the door into the neighborhood and then just, you know, be be back by dark. <laughs> and that was just yeah. figured out in the meantime. We were very fortunate we um my uh, the house that I grew up in um, uh, backed up to a bunch of city land, and so there was a big um, just woods, you know, river back there. So that was a big part of my childhood. Was I would go and I would um, I would whittle. Um, my my grandfather was was a woodworker, and so he got me my first pocket knife, and I did a lot of you know whittling. I would carve. I mean, as as a young boy does, mostly just you know weapons for imaginary threats that one might encounter in the, yes. back by the river. Um, but that's when I started, you know, really playing with wood and, and, and carving and that kind of thing. But I love drawing. And, and um, so most of my subject matter when I was growing up was, um, you know, sports figures or wildlife. Um, there's, there's still uh, a pretty good uh, timber wolf um, that's uh, pastels that hangs in my grandma's house. And uh, it's funny, she, she said uh, uh, not too long ago, why aren't you doing, you know, why aren't you doing wildlife anymore? So that's just not what really catches my, my attention at this, at this point, Grandma. But uh, but yeah. So there was a um, there's a a good amount of time um, growing up where that was my my main focus. And it's funny, I kind of I kind of connected these dots very recently. But I realized that um, uh, as I got a little bit more serious about my drawing, um, I would take works in progress to my mom, and I would say, how's you know, how's this look? Did I get the hand right? Did I get the, and of course at the time when I was, you know, whatever, you know, eight, nine years old, I wasn't, you know, thinking about myself or my life experience through the lens of being a perfectionist. But, um, you know, in middle age now, I certainly have come to realize that's a big part of kind of how I'm wired. So, um, not to skip too far ahead, but the work that I'm doing now is very much a, um, a response to, uh, there not being a right answer. I mean, if you're drawing a baseball player, the hand ought to look like a hand. <laughs> you know, there is a, you know, of course, there's there's interpretation to that. But, um, you know, uh, and so the work that I'm doing now in working abstract is very much a, uh, uh, an attempt on my part to sort of counteract that perfectionism that um, I have come to realize as a, as a big part of my, my DNA. Oh, that's going to be fun to explore. So were you... Uh, like you said, you were into the, all the hobbies and, and all the things. Uh, at what what does that look like as you go through high school? And then what came next after high school for you? Did it yeah, so a bit more focused. I um I went to um I did like I said I did, I did pretty much everything you know in, in high school. I went to college, um, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I think um I never did finish any, any of my degrees, but at different times I studied journalism and psychology. I did minor in art for a short amount of time, but I only amassed maybe three years of school altogether between a couple different colleges. The the short version of my college experience is I went to a a small division three school to, uh, to play, uh, to play football. Um, and, uh, my freshman year, I think I got up to about, I'm six foot five. So I got up to about 250 pounds. I was a defensive lineman and I checked into treatment 
about two and a half years later, and I weighed 176 pounds. Um, wow. uh, meth was my end of the road uh, drug. So that was my college experience. That uh, that speaks to you know why I didn't uh, didn't finish any any degree. So um, anyway, a long way of answering this. Fairly simple question. Art was a big part of my sort of early college. I shouldn't say big part. It was a part of something I wanted to minor in and keep doing. Um, but I think I may have taken, I don't know, four maybe, you know, art classes in, in, in college. And that was pretty much the end of any type of uh, traditional education that I got in that space. I will say, though, to kind of go back a little bit, um, I was very fortunate. My parents um, were super encouraging of, you know, whatever I wanted to do. And so they they happened to randomly have not one but but two separate friends who were working artists or art teachers and so as a child i was very much encouraged i, I got lessons from from both of them um doug and and julie at different times and that was incredible i mean just to be encouraged at such a young age um and they had different styles and very different you know teaching styles but as far as my art education i would say that uh the bulk of it took place um between the ages of Oh, I don't know, seven and eleven. You know, was really when I, I learned, um, you know, that I loved to do it and that I wanted to do it as long as I could. But to kind of close the loop on that, um, you know, once I got into uh, into recovery um, and ultimately got uh, you know got sober, then I kind of had to get get busy working and figure out how to make a living. And and uh, art was was pretty much set aside for the better part of twenty years after that. Wow. Uh, I appreciate you being open with that. I know that you had um, some challenges and um, I, I know that we don't know what everyone goes through and or has gone through or is going through. And so I appreciate you sharing that. It's um, that must have been a real challenge. I'm glad you're you're here speaking with me and uh, I'm glad you're the artist you are now and uh, that you found the recovery that you did was was there like having no real knowledge with that it did art play any kind of role like what i'm just trying to understand like how do you how do you move from that forward um and then maybe you could talk about like you didn't come back to art really for 20 years um uh, maybe you could touch on what you did uh as a matter of of moving on from that yeah, so I um I uh I got into um I, I I'm an active member of the of the of the twelve steps, so that's how I've gotten and maintain um you know recovery since and it's been it'll be uh twenty two years and, and a couple months here. So it's been a long time um now that I that yes. I've been in, in recovery. Thank you. Um and uh so as far as you know, trying to connect the dots, I guess for me you know what happened once I once I got sober was okay. Now I'm in my early 20s. I didn't, you know, have a degree to speak of. I kind of had to figure out like, all right, how am I going to make my way, you know, in this world? And that's um, I, at that time or slightly before I got recruited to uh, um, to be a part of a sales organization. So I learned that um, I was pretty good at uh, at selling, and so that led to a career in, in business. And um, and ultimately, I started my own company. Um, and had a small um, uh, financial services and, and insurance brokerage um, that I sold at the end of 2020. Um, but that's what I did for for about 20 years was you know sales and, and business. And um, what got me to the point of transitioning was I um, I lost my dad. We lost my dad um, in 2018, and he was um, 
uh, he just loved theater. He was really passionate about acting. He loved doing that. We're getting ready, you know, he, he passes away. We're getting ready for the, for the services and going through photographs as, as one does to get ready for the you know, memorial. And, uh, we just came across a bunch of photos of him acting in different productions and, and we're just reflecting on how that was really a big part of what he wanted to do in his, in his golden years was to act. He wanted to, um, you know, do, you know, little theater productions. It's not like he was going to break into Hollywood at, you know, whatever, 70 years old, but he just loved doing it. And that was kind of uh, a big part. That was the thing that he was most excited about when he, you know, retired and he passed away when he was 62. He never got to that, you know, sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And so that's really what got me thinking about, all right, is this what I'm, what I was put here for? Like, is this what I was, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing? And ultimately I, I arrived at the fact that, you know, it, it had been a, a great, um, uh, had, had made a lot of things possible for me and, you know, and, and for my family. Um, but ultimately was not what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. And so that's kind of what set the wheels in motion for me to think about, you know, what if, um, I could pursue, uh, what I'm most passionate about and not have to wait until, you know, my golden years to do that. Well, there's so much to unpack there, but I'm, uh, I'm sorry for your loss and, um, I'm wondering how, so in those 20 years success you had with your own business, were you creating, were you thinking about it? Were you looking through that lens? Was that ever like, was it ever part of your daily exercise or was it something that you did every so often or did you like, was creativity part of that? At all, you know, minimally. I, I made. Uh, I was known for carving very elaborate pumpkins with our with our daughters. Uh, I mean, I've got some photos of some really, really. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like you know, I, I, a couple I had maybe twenty hours into. You know, um, we would dye some some very elaborate you know Easter eggs. Uh, you know, so I always enjoyed doing creative things with with the girls. Um, both of whom I'm proud to say are are really talented artists in their own right, and uh, and both have very different but incredibly inspiring styles of of their own. Um, but not really, you know. If we went on vacation, I would I would sketch a little bit. I might draw a little bit, you know, here and there, pull out the iPad and doodle. But it really wasn't something that I, you know, had in front of me as as hey, I can't wait to get back to this, you know, specifically. All I knew when I transitioned from business was I want to do something. I want to I want to make things. I want to do something creative. So, um, you know, I got this studio space and just said, all right, I'm gonna you know start start making stuff. I've got a passion for videography, so I was doing some of that on the side. I wasn't sure if that's what I was going to use, you know, this this space for. And um, one day early on. I went to uh, the local, you know, art store, Michael's, the, and got some, you know, a couple cheap canvases and, and some cheap acrylics and was just kind of playing around. And uh, it was the first day, Mike, that I, that I put, you know, a brush to, to canvas. And I was like, oh, this is it. Th- this is what I want to do the rest of my, the rest of my life. Wow. That's, uh, that's good to have that kind of awakening. Even, uh, so how old would you have been? I mean, it was only three years ago, so I would have been 41. I'm 44 today. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I started around 40. And it was so funny when you when you talk about the pumpkins, because I have pictures, and I didn't spend 20 hours on them, but the same experience where it's like, I need to find the biggest pumpkin, because I need a big canvas. That's <laughs> these, little, sh- these, little, these little grocery store ones aren't cutting it. That's it. I need something big. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up growing my own. I mean, there. I, I remember one one Halloween in particular where where uh, it was like. I mean, it was well past dark, right? So I mean, it's. 
I don't know, 7.30. And <laughs> our oldest daughter at the time was like, Dad, are we going to go trick-or-treating or what? I'm like, I got to finish this Little Mermaid for you. <laughs> and she's like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I mean, that's what she said. She wasn't enough to connect those dots at that at that time. But her look was like, dude, just it's time to go trick-or-treating, you know? Yeah, yeah it was the same way. Ariel like, can wait. <laughs> Yeah, your costume looks great, but look what I did with Dora. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. Yeah, with the Dremel tool, and it's a mess everywhere. There's pumpkin pulp. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's uh, so you you walk into Michael's, you end up putting a, a brush to canvas. What was the first piece you did? I've got some pretty rough. <laughs> Some pretty rough pieces that are still uh, actually right up above me in the in the little storage area. Um, it was just it was just uh, it was abstract from the beginning. Uh, some of it had some okay. figurative elements to it, but it was just me moving paint around. You know, I, I didn't have you know a style to go back to because I really had I hadn't done anything enough to have developed a style. When I was in college, I was. Um, all over the place. I mean, I was taking entry level, you know, courses. So it's not as though I, I developed anything resembling a portfolio or anything like that. So, um, yes, yeah, so when I started, it was just me, you know, pushing paint around and, um, doing my, you know, best imitation of the work that I like looking at the most. Was there, was there a common thread? Was it, were you into a specific color space or a texture? How did it start for you? Because I, I, and I'll be honest with you, when I look at abstract, I mean, when I look at your work, like, I, I want to touch it one day. Like, I, I would love to be in your workspace with you, to be honest. But um, when I look at abstract art, some of it works for me and some of it doesn't. And I'm wondering for you, like, what is, was there a thread for the first few pieces? Was it a, was it a, a color space? Was it a material? Like, what, what, maybe talk through that. I want to understand what it is about the ab abstract. I, I, I know you've talked about perfectionism before. Um, and maybe we'll get there as well. But what is it about, at least that first jump into it, explain what, what you were doing, and then you look at a piece and think, okay, I'm going to do something different. What does different look like, but is still the same? Yeah. Right? Yeah, what I was doing at the time is really the exact same thing that I'm doing right now, which is just relentless exploration and just chasing my curiosity. I was just curious. I mean, the the early uh, work that I did um, was very colorful. Um, it was, uh, I, I, I started with just acrylic, you know, paint, and then I got into um, using spray paint and then kind of combining the two. So I went and got, you know, almost every color that Montana makes of, <laughs> of, uh, of spray paint and did kind of a, um, you know, I wouldn't really call it street art or, or graffiti, but just, you know, trying to see what I could do with a, um, with a, as a very unskilled, um, you know, <laughs> uh, a person trying to, trying to create different effects with a, with, with spray paint. I think it, it didn't take long though, before I started to really want to really get my, my hands in it, you know, even more, um, to really try and create more texture and, and do more with, with paint. And so I started, um, kind of sanding, and uh, 
growing up, I should probably, this is, this is relevant to, to share. I, in high school and college, I, I worked a bunch of just assorted, you know, construction jobs, mostly as a, as a grunt, you know, laborer moving, you know, moving material around, but occasionally they, they had a need for me to, you know, do use, use a nail gun or, or, or do other, other things. And so I grew up with a comfortability, you know, with, with tools. Um, and I think that I was always just absolutely fascinated by the different effects of, what rotting wood would look like or or did look like or what looks uh, what what the effects that would happen when you glued something down and then and then ripped it up um and just the pattern that that would make and so when i was beginning to paint and i would sand things down there's only so much sanding you can do on canvas before you know you ruin it <laughs> so that quickly um uh transitioned me into working with wood panels so i i, I got a bunch of store bought wood panels and worked with those and then ultimately started to make my own wood panels out of traditional materials and then that transitioned into into non traditional materials so for me i think as as soon as I, as i discovered my love for texture and for materiality that's really when um, paint kind of, or I, I should say just more traditional materials and processes kind of went by the wayside and, and got me into what I'm doing now. Yeah, I was putting together the questions and I, you know, typically ask, what's your favorite brush or pencil? And, and for you, I was like, well, what's your favorite angle grinder? Like it was a completely different space Yeah, as a matter of, um, of looking into this. And I really love the, the idea that you're, you know, you talk about this, about dumpster diving and just gathering these materials and, and bringing them to life and uh, this endless curiosity and exploration that you're doing. Is there, um, do you, in the last few years, and you haven't been doing this very long, which is not reflective in your work. Like it, it looks like this is a culmination of 30 years and maybe it's more a culmination of 44 years. <laughs> Is that how you're old? How old yeah. You're now? yeah. Now, so um, maybe it's it's really a combination of that. And uh, I, I'm wondering, is there? You talk about this constant exploration. You look at your recent pieces, and they, they they're different uh, than the previous ones. Do you feel that you're moving through materials a little bit differently um, in in what you're doing and how you're manipulating them? I think so. I hope so. You know, I think um, I the the for me what just fascinates me to no end is what different material can produce in terms of textures and effects and appearance. Some of the work that I've done um, in the last few months has got a little bit more color in it, but I kind of have this, you know, totally made up rule that I can break whenever I want, but <laughs> it's that um, I'm only using color that, that is inherent in the material itself or, that is produced by the process of, you know, the way that I might manipulate it. And so, um, with a lot of the, uh, a lot of my work is seasonal too, just based on, you know, what's, what's laying around. A lot of what I did last winter, um, as we approached the, the snow and, and icy season was using snow and ice as a, uh, as a mask or as a resist as I was burning and torching wood. You know, that's just, that's just me working in like, what's, what's here? You know, what can I make with what's, with what's right in front of me? Um, this past summer, I, um, I go on a lot of long walks with the, with my, with my creative director, my dog, Leo. 
and um, and we uh, there's a stream that we love going by that's that always has it's kind of the runoff from the industrial area where my where my space is located, and so just pulling you know plastic bags and and any amount of just waste that washes down you know through the uh, um, through the the drainage ditch um, just using those materials you know as well like to me the way that I work through materials is. Um, is uh, I'm just like a little kid. I mean, I'm just hungry for more, and I'm never going to run out because there's there's no end to the amount of you know waste that's <laughs> that's available out there. And my secret weapon, not my not so secret weapon, but the one material that I use on 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 every piece that I make is is resin. Um, and so that allows me to take material that is otherwise very fragile and would certainly not be archival, and you know lock it into place. You know, and that that um, that has been something that really opens up any number of doors. I was playing with. I've got dozens of different experiments, most of which won't won't see the light of day. But one of the things I was playing with the other day was a uh, we were on a walk, and I saw a rotting piece of um, of drywall, not rotting, but uh, whatever degrading. It was it was starting to come apart from from you know water damage. And um, that's not something that you could use, but if you put enough layers of, of resin on it, um, that's that's locked in place for <laughs> quite some time, you know. So <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question, but those are some words. No, it's it's helpful because I think you know understanding that obviously resin is a key component here uh, because it's one th- it's one thing to you know manipulate materials and and try and conform them to some idea that you may have or or allow them to express their own interest in being something different but then to lock it in place with resin is is important resin is something i've worked with fiberglass but that's um but not for the purpose of art so um you know when i look at you burning wood i'm thinking oh that that would be fun but uh it is (laughs) but when i look at your some of your recent work where you're taking these large posters and you're applying flame to them and they're um they're basically changing from a, a flat material into this weathered uh, skin of of what it used to be and i am wondering like are you when you're working on these pieces are you are you sketching are you prepping like are you planning or is it just i'm going to do this thing and i'm going to move it over here and see what happens next more the latter process more the latter Yeah. yeah i really only plan out a piece if i'm working really large scale on a short um, time frame, which I've done a couple of times. Um, I did an event this past uh, this past fall um, out in Georgia. It was a festival, and I made a large um, piece over the, over the course of about two days. I had a general idea about, you know, kind of just compositionally where I wanted things to kind of fall. But for the most part, I'm really just working intuitively and responding to um, the things that that came before. I'm I'm interested in the way that a piece evolves and trying to, you know, get out of, get out of the way and let it become what it wants to become, not to get too, um, but that, that's, that's really what I, you know, what I, what I love doing. And so everything leads to the next thing. You know, one of the, one of my mantras is there's, there's no mistakes. There's, it's always yes. And, you know, that, that first rule of, of improv comedy, um, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever happened because I, again, this is a, a reaction to, or a response, I should say to, uh, how I had, resp- how I had, interacted with my perfectionism previously was if I push something too far, I would spend way too much time kicking myself saying, damn it, you pushed it too far, you should have stopped. 
And I just realized like, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to censor myself. I don't want to get to a point where I'm, where I'm, I'm playing scared (laughs) and I'm worried about, you know, make a mistake or pushing something too far. I'm much more interested in pushing things too far at the peril of the piece that I may be working on, but for the benefit of my long-term progression and pushing the work forward. Like that's my priority. I want to push the work forward. I want to see what else is out there. I want to see what else, um, you know, the work could become way more so than, Hey, how do I, you know, sort of protect this, you know, precious piece that I'm working on, you know, right now. And so that's another one of my just things I think about a lot is, is, uh, uh, yeah, kill kill your darlings. That's a Stephen King quote from his. Right. That's one of my you know favorite. It's actually that quote apparently has been attributed to other people, but that's where I came across it was his his book uh, Stephen King on writing, which is the only Stephen King book that I've <laughs> uh, that I've read. But it's a really good one, just about the creative process in general. But it's kill your. So in other words, if there's a moment, if there's something that I'm just in love with, I mean, you can. <laughs> I've spent time going through you know all types of mental gymnastics trying to like find a way to compositionally resolve, oh, I love what's happening here and over here and this. And it's like, listen, the, the piece has to be, has to be, has to govern, you know, everything else. So sometimes you got to delete things that are on their own in a, in a macro view. And I may take a macro photograph before I, you know, delete it, but it, it's gotta, it's gotta go. I, I really, you know, as you're, I'm listening to you speak, and I'm, I'm looking at your work. I'm, I'm wondering how, like, you're an artist, but how far are you from being an inventor? Like, it's, it seems like this construction of of what you're doing, um, it feels like there's there's more to it than than we see, and I'm I'm wondering about, um, you know, maybe you can speak to. Was there something that surprised you as a matter of materials that you've worked with that where you were like, I didn't think, what was this? (laughs) I get surprised surprised. all the time. And that's what what I'm chasing. Yeah. Is is that moment where I've come to really, I'm chasing that moment of when I, that, that smile of, oh, wow, look at that. I love discovering what I'm making as I'm making it. That that's that's what I, I live for. And that's that's one of the things that really um what I've been doing lately is building up a lot of layers. And the reductive process for me is way more interesting than the than the additive process. You know, you gotta build the layers up for there to be something to sort of dissect. But I love that process of discovery. The the um my last show was called Pending Investigation. Like I want to invite the viewer and to to join me in investigating like what's what's in here. You know, what what was here before, what happened, what's worth really examining, highlighting and 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 spending time with and what should be, you know, set aside. That that's that's really what I what I what really gets me gets me excited. Now, of course there's a balance like I every time I experiment and every time I um I stumble across <laughs> or invent, you know, a, a new effect that I want to revisit, I spend more time with it, you know, so that I can replicate that or so that I can sort of pull that out of my out of my tool bag, you know, at another time. But really, for me, it's more about being able to, as opposed to engineering a certain effect or, um, you know, moment in a piece, it's more a matter of being able to accurately anticipate, you know, what could happen. 
so that what I try complements what's already there as opposed to steps all over it. How do you know when you're done a piece? You know, um, that gets easy. That's gotten a lot easier for me as, as time goes on. I think, um, I spend a lot of time sitting with, with the work and just listening. Um, and I think that there is a very, for me, you know, invariably there's a, there's just a, a sense of this is, this is done. I mean, there's always more you could do. I mean, pick any, any, anything. <laughs> there's a, you could always, you know, tweak. But I think, again, for me, I'm prioritizing. I want to keep pushing, you know, the work forward. So I could spend, I mean, and I have. I mean, I've, I've made that mistake time and time again. I'm sure I'll make it again, spending too much time, you know, with something. And <laughs> you'll look back and realize, I don't know that I really added a lot, <laughs> You know, I may have made it a little bit, you know, worse. So why not move on or why not set it aside for a while? Um, I always have at least, you know, a dozen pieces going at a time because I found that when I get tunnel vision of I'm working on this piece and this is the one that I, I that I want to get done, um, I just get too wrapped up in it. I just get too consumed by it. And when I've got multiple pieces going at any given time, the moment I get stuck on one, I can just say, all right, cool, set you aside. Let's go work on some others. And wouldn't you know it, what I resolve on on the subsequent pieces gives me new information, new tools in my toolkit to come back to the one that I was stuck on. It's like, oh, that's the next move, right? Um, so that's that's kind of how, how, um, how, how I get to that point. But really, it's just listening and 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 identifying coming back to it the next day or a week later and 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 do I enjoy sitting with that and and do I enjoy the, the work do I do I enjoy is it saying what I want it to say is it speaking to me and if it is then then it's done so what I find really interesting is that you're working in this kind of uh, present and future experience where you're being additive currently and then you're looking at being destructive or subtractive at some point later on and I'm wondering when you're when you're putting that all together, is is that easier for you now? Does that become this the set norm at this point in time? That when you are planning that piece, working on that piece, that you're immediately thinking about, I, I need more space to tear it down later. So I need to like, I'm just once again trying to understand the yeah. mind of Nathan and doing this. <laughs> it's a, it can be a dark neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I think for me, it, w once I was able to divorce myself from the fear of ruining a piece or pushing something too far, um, that's when a lot of things I think clicked for me and continue to. I now have, and that, again, that's just the benefit of working, you know, I guess, more sculpt sculpturally. And one of the things I'm really enjoying about um, the material that I've I've really been consumed with um, recently, which is the um, these uh, billboard tarps, um, is I can always add more. I can always just build more more layers up. Um, you know, with wood. I mean, it's funny. This the the, the work that that my last show was based on was um, the the layered pieces. And uh, so it's most most of the pieces are carved wood on the outside, and then uh, a couple of inches of separation, and then something you know uh, an inner layer that kind of peeks out and, and has a little bit different life um, depending upon the vantage point and and the the light source. 
But that was a mistake too that I just leaned into. I was carving one day. I was, I was about to tell you, hey, when you're carving, you got you know whatever half an inch to work with. But at a certain point, you run out of real estate, you know, with that as well. Right. And that's what happened one day is I, I poked through and I was like, oh, oh crap, I, I ruined. <laughs> ah, this piece has got a hole in it now. And I was like, well, screw it. Like, what? Why not? Let's just see what else can happen here. And that became a, a genesis piece for uh, a body of work that. I, uh, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but it's, it's one that I certainly haven't tired of, um, you know, yet and don't anticipate being done with anytime soon. So, um, anyway, to get to your question, yeah, I think that's really where, um, a lot of doors open for me was realizing, Hey, I can always, um, go nuclear on, on a piece. And I just, yesterday I was just like, this, this just isn't working. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, blow this up. Not literally, sometimes literally. <laughs> Um, but figuratively, and I'm just going to build up a ton of more material, a ton more layers, break it down. And again, I just like having options, you know, um, I was never a good poker player, but I, I, I did play, play for a little while. And, uh, you know, you want to have a lot of outs, right? <laughs> when that river card comes, you want to have options. And so, yeah, so I just like, I like having options. I, I like having a lot of outs when it comes to, you know, resolving a piece and working in three dimensions does that. And so, is there a typical size that you like to work with? Like, and, and how small have you gone, and how large have you gone? As big as possible is my is my my typical size. Yeah, I'm I'm really I love I love working big, and um, it it's kind of a double edged sword because I found that it becomes it's becoming harder and harder for me to work um, small <laughs> smaller um, because it. I mean, I, I don't think you'll find many artists who who don't enjoy you know working working on a, on a bigger scale. But with the material that I'm using, um, there are some logistical considerations that I'm <laughs> working through as far as how to, how does it work you know get get from point A to point B. But uh, bigger is my favorite size, for sure. <laughs> and if we were to go into your studio, what, you know, once again, back to the whole idea of tools, what tools need to be charged, need to be powered, need to have material available? What, is, what do you need to have by your side when you're, when you're working? Well, I've done, a, I've done this a couple times now. Um, four times now, I've taken my my show on the road and, and packed up what I, what was absolutely essential and, and made work, um, on site. I did it twice this, this year so far, once out in Oregon and once out in, in Georgia. Um, I would say that if I had to, if I had to, you know, fit it into a carry on, it's going to be my, um, my, I've got a lot of different types of torches or flames, but the kind of standard go-to is just the burns matic you know, propane. Um, and, uh, those you can buy anywhere, you know, most of the tools that I use, I can buy, I can get supplies for, you know, at, at any Home Depot or, 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 or Lowe's. I mean, I have, I have not set foot in a proper art store for <laughs> a couple, I mean, it's been quite some time unless I'm taking the kids to, to re-up their, their paints or markers. But, um, so it's going to be, a, it's going to be a torch and, uh, some version of a rotary tool, you know, Dremel makes a bunch of different, you know, models and uh, a lot of other third-party companies make really cool, um, you know, carving bits. And so I'm going to throw a bunch of bits into a, into a bag and use that. But, yeah, there's a lot of um, – if we're going bigger, um, there's uh, a lot of uh, shaping discs that go on an angle grinder, and we can, get, we can get more complicated from there. But I also love my orbital sander. I love just taking real thin little, you know – Carpaccio slices off the <laughs> off the top and and seeing what can be exposed with those as well. Is there a tool that you haven't used yet that you would love to try? 
I mean, there are some skills that I'd like to acquire. Um, I'd like to work with metal. I mean, it's only a matter of time before I, before I do freestanding, you know, sculpture. Um, and so I'm going to learn how to weld at some point. Um, I made the mistake of starting to follow some um, people that do glass work, you know, on Instagram. And, oh, man, that looks like fun, too, you know. Um, so, uh, actually, so, but the, I actually do, there. I'm, I'm getting set up to be able to melt um, and, and start doing um, uh, pouring of, of, uh, of metal. I'd like to be able to melt down, like, aluminum cans and pour that over pieces and, and integrate more metal into what I'm doing. So that, that's coming at some point, probably. <laughs> Have you done any metal work at all before? No. No, no. I mean, I've used um, I've used repurposed um, aluminum, like uh, for HVAC, you know, ventilation or th- that t- those types of things. I've had a number of pieces mm-hmm. where, um, with my my layered pieces, that's the inner layer that I'll cover up and then kind of carve. Um, from there, I used some rusted barn metal on a piece this this past summer, but. Um, I'm just attaching that to the inner layer. I'm not actually working with the metal and doing any kind of, you know, proper metal work yet. Right. I keep telling my wife, because I, in college, I learned um, welding and, uh, you know, working with uh, um, Meg and TIG welders and oxyacetylene. And I keep telling my wife, I want to get an oxyacetylene torch. And she's like, why? It's like, just in case I need it. Right. I just, I want to play with it. Absolutely. It has to have a cutting torch on it. Yeah, I remember putting. I remember cutting a uh, a sunroof out of a Subaru I had. <laughs> and to your point about destroying material, I was I was on the roof cutting it and uh, didn't really think about the cardboard layer underneath. So basically, it caught fire. Sure, and uh, we had to yank the whole <laughs> innards out before the before the car caught fire. Now I should say the car was written off. So it it wasn't on the road, but it was um, it was just a fun experiment because I had a cutting torch with me. But uh, yeah, good news, well, bad news, bad news. The sunroof didn't work. The good news is we now have a convertible. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it was glorious. So uh, uh, yeah, it's um, I, I'll be curious what you, what you do with metal because I think that's. Uh, uh, that's an interesting exercise. I'm impressed with what people are doing with that. Uh, and if you end up doing metal and glass, that's a really interesting mix as well. Oh yeah. Um, I've seen some people, there was a couple of people on clubhouse that were doing glass work and uh, I don't understand that medium at all. Yeah. At all. Um, what do your kids think of your, of the work that you do? My, so our girls are now, uh, both in high school, 18 and, and 15 and, uh, yeah, senior and freshman in, in high school. They think it's pretty cool that their dad is, is living their dream and, um, they enjoy bringing friends to the studio. That's, that's a, that's been a fun activity for, for both of them. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it was, uh, our, our oldest, it was, um, it was homecoming, which is a much bigger deal now than it was when, when I was growing up. But, um, apparently no one, uh, had a plan as far as whose parents' house they were going to go to at the at the very end. So I happened to be at the studio late, and and uh, our oldest texted me. She's like, "Can we come to the studio?" I was like, "You want to bring your friends 
all in your formal. I mean, sure, yeah, come on, come on down. So they they think it's pretty. They think it's pretty cool. And like I said, they they both um, are very talented artists, very different styles. Um, uh, uh, my oldest is is um, uh, really enjoys you know realism, portraiture, um, you know animals. She's doing a um, my my brother's got two dogs. She's she's got a really good piece going with with both of his dogs that she's going to give him for Christmas. And uh, and our youngest is. Um, more into uh, abstract and kind of assemblage um, type work, but it's it's fun. I mean, creating with your kids is just the best. What would your uh, dad say about what you're doing now? I um, I am sure that he would be that he'd be pretty pretty really really proud. Yeah, and 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 my mom tells me that <laughs> um, uh, quite quite a bit. Yeah, I I'm, I'm sure he'd be proud. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's great to see people like you doing this. Um, I, I, I do think it's, it's important that we realize that there's um, getting off the treadmill early can be scary, but it's, it's good to do that and, and follow what you feel is inside you. And, and what's interesting is you didn't know it was inside you for, for years, right? Until, uh, un, until that happened and it was there all along and, and now you're able to, um, to sand it and grind it and expose it so that we can all see what you're, what you're working on. So I'm not, I'm not going to be that far away from trying something because when I was seeing your your pieces um, where you had that kind of a layered effect where you had the the wood torn away and then you were able to see behind it I commented on one uh, maybe I sent you a message or something but I was thinking I would love to draw something in behind one of those pieces so I'm still thinking at some point I'm going to I may have to reach out to you and just ask what tool I should get yeah, yeah. <laughs> what approach I should do I'll, t- I'll tell you, and, and for everybody, like, just go get a, a, a Dremel, like, uh, just an average. That's they're so great, and you can get uh, you know any number of bits at any just your local home improvement store. Like, that's a great way just to experiment. Just get a piece of you know random wood and, and have fun with it. It's 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 a blast. <laughs> it really is. Are you using a torch a lot? Mm-hmm. Is is that? Do you use that on every piece? No, not necessarily. Um, most, though, yeah, a version of it, whether it be, you know, burning wood or um, I've been integrating different found materials, um, uh, most of them industrial. Most of my neighbors kind of know now that I'm what I'm looking for and what, I, what I've been using. And so I've been using a lot of, like, packing plastic. Um, so really more melting, melting that. Um being safe using my ventilation, um, you know, masks and all, and all that. Um, but the, um, the billboard tarp is a, is another one. Um, but yeah, it's what I love about fire and heat specifically is that it's a way to sort of very quickly mimic, um, what happens in the natural world of just degradation, you know, the way things that, that things kind of break down. Um, I love the whole um, concept of, of wabi-sabi, that the Japanese aesthetic of finding beauty in, in impermanence and in imperfections. Um, you know, when people ask what, what inspires me, I, I say, I love a beautiful sunset like, like anybody else, but when I'm going on my walks, I'm really just fascinated by the way that those bricks are that, that retaining wall is breaking down or the way that the cracks, you know, in the, in the street were formed. I mean, the line work of just your average, you know, poorly maintained asphalt road, 
is is undefe- it's amazing it's undefeated you know what i mean like sometimes mm-hmm. i'll see things in the natural world or um just the way that things break down and be like well what's the what's the point like i'll never be able to you know make a, a piece that's as beautiful as you know this mold you know that's growing on this you know uh a tree that's that's rotting in the woods or you know whatever it might be um so anyway that's one of the things i really like about about heat is that it um, can really accelerate the the um, the degradation of the materials that I, that I'm working with and allow me to attempt to capture sort of the the beauty in that and that ugliness and that's really you know I I, I um uh you know a lot of much better uh, you know more more educated thinkers around art say things to the effect of you know you don't really know what your work's about and you don't need to. Um, until it reveals itself over time. And that's definitely been my, been my experience. Um, but one of the things that the work has revealed to me about what it's about, you know, for me is really finding beauty in the, in the ugliness and really taking material that would otherwise be discarded or thrown away and finding the beauty in that and trying to highlight, Hey, this is something that has value as well. And, as I've thought more about it and as I've, I've spoken more about it, I realize that's really, you know, a big part of what I believe, um, you know, my, my purpose is, is to, um, kind of back to my experience, you know, with recovery is, um, you know, help people get on board with the idea that, that our scars really can become our superpowers. The things that, um, are most painful, um, most difficult to go through and everyone's got their stuff that they've been through. That's got the most potential for, for growth and for, for transformation. You know, growth is always painful. Growth is always uncomfortable. And so when I think about, you know, the materials that I'm using and what I'm doing to those materials to achieve, you know, um, my version of, of, of beauty or, or interest, um, uh, it's very indicative of how I think about, um, you know, my, my, my life and my, uh, up to this point. And uh, if I had something to put on a billboard or share with other people, um, it would be a version of, you know, get curious about, you know, what would be worth investigating and unpacking and, and seeing if you can say something, you know, with that or speak to that. I love all that. <laughs> Two things came up. Uh, it, it's interesting you mentioned all the cracks in the asphalt and all that, because I think we overlook it. Um, we're looking at our phones. Um, um, we're not, we're looking for what we think is the beauty when we should be looking at, at, at nature being nature. And it's small things like we've got this Russian Russian sage that grows right beside our driveway. And every summer it pushes itself up through the asphalt. And I'm like, can you please leave my driveway alone? But I, and I I get frustrated um, with it. And I tell my wife, we got to move this. But at the same time, I'm like, you are so resilient. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Isn't it awesome that, you're taking your nutrients from over here and you're deciding this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to come up over here. Um, I just, it amazes me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that was one thought. The, the other is, uh, have you ever had this, the burning, the flaming that you do? Did you have anything ever go sideways on you and think, uh-oh, <laughs> 
in a sense of, I got to fire. <laughs> so before I answer that question, you know, the, my first thought was who, who may be listening to this? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I will say simultaneously, hey, kids, try this at home and also don't try this at home. Uh, you know, right. so when I use kids, I'm using the pejorative term of, you know, human beings. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I do I do my burning outside. I mean, I've got a um, you know my space has got an overhead door that that uh, um, you know leads to a, to an apron, and so I've always got water nearby, um, a fire blanket nearby. I've learned to uh, make sure that I've got you know protective eyewear and and all that. But I've certainly you know had had pieces where um, you know I was doing some burning and uh, it just burnt you know well beyond what what I intended. But uh, again, back to that whole ethos of that's what was that w- that's what was supposed to happen, and so what could I potentially now you know do with this, or is it time just to start over? So yes, um, but uh, despite um, what people may think from watching my process videos, I am I am I am careful uh, about that, and I've got a very specific checklist. That's my biggest fear, honestly, is not what happens while I'm doing it because I'm there. You know what I mean? It's uh, is something smoldering that I pull inside that overnight, you know, that's my biggest. Con- so I, I've got a whole checklist around if I've been doing burning that day that I go through before I, you know, shut the lights off and, and go home for the night. So what do you do? Do you dust it with water and uh, like, yeah, con- contain it that way? Yeah, contain it with water. Um, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll have sand nearby as, you know, as well if I just need to like completely cover something up. Um, I've got a few different techniques now for being able to, 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 um, I mean, that's what I love about fire and, and just flames in general. It's, <laughs> are you familiar with the show Dexter? Did you ever watch that show or, you know, a few, you know I didn't watch it? the whole series. You know, the premise yeah. though, right? Like, so he's yep. a, okay. So he's got that serial killer gene and his dad was a detective who recognized that and channeled that for good. That that's the, that's the backstory of, of Dexter. Right. So, um, I sometimes joke that, uh, I would have been a, uh, I would have been a, a pyro of some kind doing, doing worse things if it wasn't channeled towards, <laughs> towards, um, <laughs> towards art. But that is one of the things I love about, um, about fire is that it can be influenced, but it can't really be controlled. You know, I can kind of steer it a little bit. I can influence it. I can kind of try to put it out at a, at a certain, you know, point, but especially with different effects, there's such a, there's such a thin line between, you know, uh, right where I want it, amber, just toasted and freaking charred and black, you know? Um, so anyway, that's, that's a, it's a, it's a fun, you know, game to play, but I got a different, a lot of different ways of, um, stopping or influencing the flame that I, uh, employ for, for different reasons at different times. That's cool. Now, I, I want to get to the video because uh, the video work that you've done and the video and your reels and all that, because we've had conversations on Clubhouse about this. Um, and we've been part of rooms where people talk about, you know, how as an artist, creating these reels uh, gains you a bit of traction and uh, favors the algorithm and that kind of stuff. You do such amazing work with video. Can you talk through kind of how you approach that, maybe some of the equipment that you're using? Uh, just for another artist who's interested in trying to capture their creative process. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll say this. I think, um, I mean, 
the algorithm is going to, it's going to keep changing. It's going to, it's going to be a moving target. You know, I, I definitely did get some traction, um, on Instagram during a time when reels were prioritized that, that day is coming. I don't know anyone that's, that's, you know, getting good activity on Instagram anymore. Right. Um, so what I've come to discover is that I really do just enjoy sort of that sort of, uh, video diary element of things. I am not somebody who's going to take good notes. You know, I, I do think of myself as a, as a, as a, a scientist experimenting, um, except for the part where you actually log <laughs> your, your results and make micro adjustments to the variables as one would in, in the, in the scientific process. So for me, um, video really is the way that I cap and, and I do, I go back and I watch, Hey, I'll look at a piece. Hey, I'd like to do something similar. Um, you know, with, with this one, I'll, I'll go back and watch my own, you know, reels. Oh, that, that's, that's how, that's how I did it. Because for me, it's not so much a matter of, of, um, the technique, but it's also the sequence, the order in which I, I do things makes a huge difference in terms of, you know, what it, what it looks like. So I would encourage people to, whether you share it or not, I mean, that's the nice thing about, um, you know, the, the age we live in, it's like you're using, it's like you're wasting film that you need to go buy more of, right? Like you get to decide, you know, what you do or don't share. So even if it is just, you know, little clips for yourself, for you to watch back and learn from yourself about what you want to carry forward, I think that's got, you know, tremendous value. So the nice thing too, about the age that we live in is we've got a, a professional recording studio, you know, in our, in our pockets. I mean, we're sitting here, I've got some, some high end cameras, you know, 20 feet away, I'm on my phone. I'm using my phone to record this right now with you because, damn it, the, 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 that sensor is really good and the, the image quality is fantastic. So you don't need to go out and, and invest a bunch of money, um, you know, in uh, in equipment. I think a good tripod is like pretty much all a person really needs. And depending upon the type of work that you're doing, if you're sitting in front of a, an easel or or if, if you're stationary um, and don't have access to you know natural light, you know a, a decent light. Like those are the two things. In addition to the phone that you probably already have that's got a pretty decent camera on it so it's not a big investment as far as that's concerned i think that um as far as just like basic advice on like how to you know put a video together it's always good to have a a wide a mid and a a close-up shot and if that's if those are the three ingredients i mean if you can go back and watch my reels and you'll see a version of you know at least two of those three sometimes all three um but uh, a cut between a wide from a wide shot to a close-up um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, I just, I enjoy the storytelling, you know, element of that. I like to bring people in. I love to know how the sausage is made. You know, I, I like to watch other artists process videos. So much like I'm making the type of art that I want to look at, I'm making the type of videos that, uh, that I would want to watch. But one of the rules that I've made for myself is that the work always comes first. If there's time to grab a clip here and there, cool. Um, but the work always comes first. And that's something that, uh, I mean, there was a time where I was just like, I'm going to just make every, every, <laughs> every, every piece <laughs> is going to have, you know, a whole series of, of really well-produced, you know, videos around it. And I, I quickly grew out of that because it's, it's just a lot of work that doesn't actually lead to what I'm here to do, which is, you know, make, make art. Um, but again, like that would be my encouragement to somebody is, set up a tripod, you know, record it, watch it back. And if you want to share it, cool. If you don't, if it's just for you, that's, that's fine, you know, as well. But I, I think it's a good practice to, uh, to, to get into. And if it allows you to, you know, engage with more people and bring people into your world and, and, um, have a conversation all the better. Yeah. I think uh, you've done an amazing job and you've stayed away from the time-lapse stuff, which I find is, is, is hard to consume. Mm, like it's, yeah. you know, doing the, the real time kind of just, 
you know, quick cuts is, is a really much better experience for people. Um, I think that uh, if you want to do reels, I still think there's probably value in it, but it doesn't help as much as it used to. But I do agree that maybe doing it for the purpose of storytelling yeah. or documenting. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's really important as artists that we're telling our story, not just sharing our art. Um, and that's a way to do it and get engagement and get people interested in what you're doing because um, what you're doing is pretty special there, Nathan. So I think people need to see it as well. It's a fun, I mean, it's fun for me. I, I, I say, I wouldn't say that a person has to do, if, if you're not, if you're not drawn to do it, don't, don't do it just for the, you know, for the whatever, for the gram. Um, because again, it's going to change, you know, regardless, like I think videos got value, whether you turn it into a reel or whether you just drop it into a, a carousel or, you know, whatever, but who, hell, by the time this, you know, this episode airs and a couple few weeks it's it'll be different <laughs> so it's like right you know if you want to do it do it because you you really enjoy it not because you feel like you have to what do you think's holding back artists from getting to the next level self-censorship self-censorship i i think that i think that the biggest thing that and again, I mean, how do I know? I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out what's what's holding you know what's holding me back. But um, so if I can if I can take my n equals one you know sample size and extend that out to the the broader you know human experience, I think that um, you know in general, what holds people back and what I mean by self censorship is just um, trying to you know stay in your lane. Uh, Jerry Saltz, the the great you know critic and and uh, and 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 author, talked. It's a lot like, you know, anyone who tells you to stay in, in your lane is is full of crap, and you can tell them so. Like, <laughs> tell them to shut up. Like, what what lane? Like, that's why. Why are you an art? <laughs> if you're if you're aspiring to be an artist, like, what's the, the, the there is no lane. That's the beautiful thing about it. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, and I think that if, if a person is, you know, drawn to be in a space where there's a, a very specific, you know, precise outcome, then you should probably be an engineer or a more, you know, left brained activity, I suppose. Um, so there is no lane, there is no, there is no, no right or wrong. And so I think when I talk about, um, or when I say self-censorship, I think it's just, you know, Everyone's got. I, I believe this in my heart, Mike. Everyone's got ideas. Everyone's got things that are 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 well outside of what they usually do. And I think that most people. I'm guessing here, but I think that most people have this sort of voice that tells them, "Oh, that's not what I do," or "That's not consistent with," or "I wouldn't even know where to be." You know, there's all these reasons for not, you know, sort of chasing that idea down. Right. And um, one of the uh, one of the best books I've read on the creative process, uh, Rick Rubin's um, recent book. Have you read it? Fantastic! Yeah, it's amazing. Um, just the 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 uh, the depth with which he captures the creative experience and how spot on he is with our responsibility to the idea, wherever it is that you believe ideas come from. If it came to you, it's your responsibility to execute on that idea or it's going to go to somebody else. Not that it couldn't be, you know, chased down by malt, whatever. 
but I think it's our responsibility to um, wherever you believe ideas come from. You know, for me, um, my artistic practice is, is a very, it's, 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 a, it's a spiritual practice, you know, as well. And so for me, I, I believe it's my responsibility to when that idea comes to do something with it or I feel like there, there's going to be fewer that, that follow. You know, it's, it's a muscle like anything else that needs to be exercised um, just to execute in some form or fashion um, and just try it, right? Like I think a lot about, I think about the path that I, that I have and just using my, my, my artistic, you know, whatever tools or, or things that I've got in my, in my toolkit as far as, you know, things that I might do on any given piece. And this is true of anybody. It's true of you, of, of any other artist. You know, we all have our things that we could do. If you said, if I said, hey, draw a grizzly bear, you're like, got it. You know where you're going to start. You, you're, so that's the interstate, right? That's the, that's the paved, you know, whatever, eight-lane highway. Like that's, that's well, well-worn ground that, that we can always come back to. What I'm interested in is knowing that I've already got that in the bag, knowing that I can always come back to anything that I already have sort of an established experience with, Keep veering off, like get off on the, on the, on the two lane, get off on the, on the dirt gravel road, like throw that thing in four wheel drive and, and get off and hell, throw the keys and, and start hiking. Like who knows? Cause you can always go back. You can always circle back to, you know, where do we leave off? Okay, cool. I can get back into this more, more comfortable, more, more known area. But I think it's just, um, if I really long winded answer your question, but, to put a bow on it, um, I think it's it's um, lack of experimentation or lack of willingness to make mistakes and to make work that that is confusing or that doesn't resolve itself or that doesn't feel like what you know they've done before. Do you think that gets challenging now that we've got audiences both in person and on social media? That that kind of pivot, that kind of exploration becomes a little bit more challenging because you're trying to look at yourself through the eyes of the people that follow you. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, but I, I think it comes back to like, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to do? (laughs) You know, like, I mean, I, I, there may be, there there are, there's probably a person or two listening to this who's just got it dialed in and they're like, I freaking love my style. I love what I do. This is what I want to do as long as I get a chance to do it. God bless you. Rock and roll. Keep doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I am light years away from, Hey, this is it. I'm just going to keep staying this, in this lane, you know, indefinitely. You know, I know that you're not, I mean, are you talking about different, you know, what maybe the last episode, acorn ink, what else can I make ink out of? What other subject matter? Like, I don't care what your medium is or what you're like, there's always something else that, that, that you can try. And so again, it's like, you know, the people who are really interested in, again, if that's even a consideration to be made, like if they were interested in what you're doing up at this point and they're not going forward, then cool. They'll find somebody else to, to follow and you'll be just fine. There'll be more people that'll be interested in, in what you do next. Yeah. And for the record, I prefer Magic Mushroom Mike than mushroom, <laughs> Magic Acorn. Mike? Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll stick with that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think it. I think creating with mushroom ink, uh, I think surprised a few people. So that was a that was a pleasant uh, exercise. Absolutely. That I, uh, that I did. I I have a bag of acorns here actually. Nice. That I am going to uh, to convert to some ink and some other things I'm going to play with as well. But uh, I, 
I um, I really like that. I think that's going to force, I think, uh, someone who's watching or listening to this to consider what tomorrow looks like, or maybe what next month looks like in maybe taking something on or maybe not rejecting an idea. And I, I do like that idea, you know, and Rick talked about this, this idea that if it came to you, it came to you for a reason. And, you know, I, I forget who said it, but somebody had commented that, you know, the most expensive real estate in the world is, is graveyards because that's where ideas went to die. Um, so we have an opportunity as humans to take what we, what we feel, what we think about and take it further. Um, and we owe it to humanity to be able to do that. And who knows where it takes us. And some of them could be scary, but some of them can be really impactful on others. So, uh, yeah, and I feel like our conversation is probably impactful on others, having been through the experience ourselves. It's supposed to be scary, right? Like, I don't know. I think art is supposed to be dangerous. It's supposed to be, I mean, if it doesn't take us in, in, in if it doesn't take the artist, the creator into to new places ourselves, how can we expect our work to, to really resonate or, or, or connect, you know, with, with people, um, beyond just a basic level? I don't know. I mean, I think that, <laughs> That, if I know anything, it's like operating from that place of like, I don't know, and I'm okay with that. Like, I have no interest in mastery. And again, it depends on your medium. It depends on what you're trying to do. Like, of course, there are artistic, you know, um, practices where that, that's, a, that's a thing. <laughs> but for me, the only thing that I want, um, you know, any version of mastery in is chasing my curiosity and being willing to make like big, you know, mistakes in service of what could be and what the work could become. That's, that's what I'm into. And I, I should have asked this earlier, but you know, I think it's also having that confidence in what you're doing. Like you made that scary leap from something you've been running for 20 years into this, like you weren't doing both at the same time, no. right? Like, so I think it, maybe it's speaking to those people who are just, like me, I've got a full-time job. I do this. I do my creative stuff in the background, um, in the evenings, at lunch, before work, on the weekends. Um, can, can you speak to that balance as well? Because I think that's that becomes a bit of a challenge where the, the challenge is not the piece. The challenge is the time. Yeah. And it's hard to feel like an artist sometimes when you're struggling with that. And... Um, finding that space to create is, is challenging. And I, I don't know. I don't know if you've run into a lot of artists where they, they are struggling with that, where they're caught in between now and then. I mean, I, I think that regardless of what we're talking about, um, whether it's time to make art, time to put towards, you know, fitness or finances or relationships or the things that if we were to sit down and make a list of these are my priorities on paper, um, and actually ran that up against, you know, cross-reference that with our, our, an actual audit of our time, that, that, that's where I would begin with anybody, uh, with any conversation, starting with, starting with myself, right? Like how much time do we spend, you know, scrolling through social media, you know, watching, tell, just wasting time. There's so much more. I don't care. I mean, everyone's situation is different. But I don't care. I mean, I, I, I've never met anybody where you couldn't find 
another 30 minutes, another 60 minutes, you know, a day. Um, one of the best pieces of advice, though, to, to speak to that from a tactical standpoint um, was from, um, oh, what's the name of the book? The name of the book is Catching the Big Fish. And I can picture David Lynch is the name of the author, the, the legendary uh, director. Fantastic mm-hmm. book. Um, some parallels between that and, and, and Rick Rubin's book, um, you know, as well, but, uh, really, really beautiful book, but he talks about having a setup and having a setup is just, they're having a dedicated place, even if it is just, you know, whatever, two feet by, you know, a foot and a half on, on a desk or on a, on a, on a table somewhere, but just knowing that when it is time to create that you've got your setup in place and that that barrier for creating is, is, is removed. I know where my stuff is. I know where I'm going to sit down. And again, it's just making that first mark. I think that, you know, I don't care how much time you're spending on, on the work. It can be intimidating to, to get working and to stay working. And I think that, you know, for me, I've just learned to have a really low bar or a, a very manageable definition of success when it comes to what's a successful session. And for me, it's, did I, did I make a mark? Did I, did I alter what I'm working on in some way? And if the answer is yes, then, then rock and roll. You know, I, I subscribe to that, um, that Chuck Close quote that gets thrown around a lot, you know, um, uh, inspirations for amateurs. The rest of us just get to work. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to that effect, right? It's like, Mm You know, the, the muse has to find you working. That's a Stephen Pressfield uh, from, from the, the War of Art, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal book I'd recommend as well. But the muse has to find you working. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, there's, there hasn't, once in a while, I'll just be like hanging out, chilling, and, and, a, and a great idea just pops in my mind. Very rarely, though. For the most part, it happens when I'm engaged in the act of making and the next thing then comes to mind, right? So, um, you know, get to work and just start, make a mark in the 15 minutes that you have and those stack up over time. Yeah, you said so much there and, and you referenced many books. And so I am going to take this opportunity to remind people to check out the show notes, whether you're watching us or whether you're listening to us, I will provide a link to the show notes and I will link out to everything uh, that we spoke about so that people can take and explore these books and, and all these resources as well. And, uh, uh, you know, I found it really challenging to find space, but I, I do increasingly, like I spent 15 hours in a merge a few weeks ago and, uh, I ended up being a kidney stone issue, but my wife took me and I was like, okay, I got to bring my wallet and I got to bring my sketchbook. Like I cannot go without my sketchbook and I ended up doing three sketches in the uh, in the emergency room people thought, probably thought I was crazy but for me that was um, I needed it more than a, than a blanket or a, or a Tylenol 3 and um, you gotta be mindful I, of I, eye contact when you're sketching in the emergency room you know oh yes if you're like <laughs> hey sir could you yeah. could you lift your arm oh okay alright <laughs> sorry I didn't I didn't catch that wound can you just turn the lights off I just need to see no that's uh, that's too much gash. Um, yeah, it's, um, it, it, yeah, there was, some, there were some odd looks with that, but it is that, uh, w- what I came away with immediately after that was I'm not using enough of my time to either be creating or to be enjoying. And I think it is important to do both. And, uh, you know, 
and I've been playing with my senses. I, I'm reading this fantastic book, and um, I can't recall the titles as well as you can, but it's it's a book about animal senses. And what I've tried doing to myself is playing with my senses a little bit. You know, listening to I li- I use a Brain.fm to listen to music when I work um, and create. And what I've found is. Normally when I go to sleep, I close my eyes and I start thinking about things. And I have these wonderful ideas. I don't do that during the day, or I didn't do that during the day. And I realized, why don't I do that when I'm in front of my sketchbook or on my iPad and just close my eyes and think and imagine and picture um, and, and just discovering this connection with our senses and how we can leverage those into what we're doing is so important. And it's kind of that introspective review of the tools that we have available to us and that inspiration to be able to kind of move things forward. And uh, it's this exploration of, of art, but exploration of ourselves is really important. It's so important. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things. Like I didn't realize how when it comes to the transformational um, opportunities within being an artist, and when I say that, I mean anybody. If you're engaged in the in the act of making art, you know you're you're an artist. But um, you know, for me, I found that art gives me space to process my experience in the world in ways that that um, nothing else does, or even comes close. You know. Um, I kind of I'm in the process of of uh, as I as I as I hope most people are um, you know deprogramming, <laughs> trying to let go of you know a lot of the programming that I acquired somewhere along the way and identify all right what's useful and and what's not. One of the things for me that I've identified as definitely not useful is and I don't know where I got this doesn't really matter, but at some point I made an agreement with myself that only productive emotions are to be engaged with. Um, and so it was, is this, is this feeling, um, productive? Is this helping me be more, you know, successful? If yes, lean into it. If not set it aside, it doesn't, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any, any space here. And with art, um, I have the space now and, and, and I did before, but now I understand that all feelings, all emotions, um, you know, have, have utility, have a purpose. We're feeling them for a reason, but to get present to, you know, what am I feeling? Just what's here, you know, um, uh, when it comes to the, the act of, of making, you know, for me, uh, I'm getting more and more in tune to the times when I'm just pressing. I'm just trying to make something happen. I'm trying to manufacture something cool, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to really being in flow and, and listening to, you know, what does the work want to be and trying to say, you know, what I, what I want with it. And so, um, meditation is a big part of my practice, journaling, um, you know, my spiritual disciplines, like all of those things, getting in tune with where am I at? Um, and just, and just listening. But boy, I tell you what, just even if it is just for five minutes, if I can sit down and meditate, capture, you know, write, write a few things down, even if, even if it is just the random, you know, thought goblins that may be, you know, taking up rent-free space in my head to get back to, you know, the, 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 the work, um, boy, that's, that's time well spent because yeah, you close your eyes and, you know, we're visual, we're visual people by nature. Like things are going to keep happening. We're going to keep processing, um, you know, things visually, even when, when we're not taking in, you know, new visual information, probably even more so. Yeah, Absolutely. 
I just got to figure out a sketchbook I can take in the shower with me because I have really good ideas there. But by the time I get to a piece of paper, it's too late. <laughs> so you go into much greater depth with a lot of this stuff in your podcast. Yeah. Uh, that you just uh, released recently. Do you want to speak to that? Because I think that's exciting. I didn't, when I asked you to, to come on, I didn't realize you were doing this. And I saw this and it's like, that's fantastic. So can you speak to Just Make Art, your new podcast? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we, um, uh, it's myself and Ty Nathan Clark, um, who's a great friend of mine, phenomenal artist as well. Everyone go follow Ty Nathan Clark. And um, uh, he actually has a mentorship program that I participated in right when I first um, you know, transitioned. So that's kind of how we got to know each other. Um, I was in his mentorship program and learned a ton. I mean, that, that helped me out uh, tremendously. One of the things, and, and we just you know, became friends and, uh, and kept our relationship going even after the program was done. So one of the things, I've always loved um, quotes. Uh, that was one of, the, one of the rooms that we did for a little while there in, in, in Clubhouse. I love um, I mean, just just the fact that, you know, for for $17, you know, you can get a physical copy of a book or an audible version, and you can get all the best things that the most impactful human beings who have ever lived <laughs> have acquired in their entire life. You know what I mean? For 17, like, you're, I don't know about you, I, I, list, I got something in my ears almost all the time. Sometimes it is, you know, Brain FM and Binaural Beats. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's music. But I'm absorbing, you know, something when I'm doing almost everything, you know, now. So why not have it be, um, you know, something like that? But anyway, quotes are something that I've always loved. So that's what Ty and I do is just break down different quotes, many of them by artists um, or other creatives in, in any number of, of, uh, of creative spaces and just talk about our experience as, as, as working artists and the process of, um, you know, making work. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, season one is uh, we're, we're releasing that right now. And uh, yeah, going to start recording season two shortly here. I'm excited. I, I love seeing people challenging themselves, doing something different, telling their stories. And so it was, uh, it was exciting to see that. So I would encourage everyone to check it out. I will include once again, a link to that uh, so that people can find you and, and listen to those conversations with you and you and Ty. So um, I, before I get into the idea of homework, I always love to, to leave with a bit of homework. I'm wondering what you have, coming up as a matter of uh, shows, places where people can find you, because uh, I know you have something exciting going into uh, into uh, February of 24, and we're recording this before that, but you will be listening to this, I hope, people, <laughs> before this event comes up, but if you can talk through that, maybe. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, I've got uh, my next solo show is uh, um, coming up. It's going to run through March and April. And I believe it's opening the very last day of February. It's at um, uh, it's called Another Gallery in uh, in Denver, Colorado, right on uh, Santa Fe, which is kind of in the art, arts district there. And so, yeah, that's my next solo show that I'm getting ready for, and um, and really excited to bring some of the things that I've been experimenting with and some um, some things from the lab into <laughs> into existence and uh, show people. And and uh, you know, to your point, I. Um, uh, one of my favorite things about people seeing my work in person is everyone has that thought of like, can I, can I touch this? Is it, it's not going to be this next show, but at some point I am going to name a show, uh, please touch the artwork <laughs> because <laughs> it is, it is coded in multiple layers of, uh, of bulletproof resin. So you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna break anything. <laughs> I always tell people, if you don't like how it looks, just turn the lights off and see if you like how it feels. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll like it better then. <laughs> I'm going to uh, hopefully I'll have a, a chance at some point to, to touch your work because uh, 
Um, I, I do want to get a chance to see this in person. I, I love seeing you on Instagram. Um, and I'm wondering, from everything that you've done in such a short period of time, I'm wondering what homework looks like from Nathan. Well, listen, so here's, I, I'm, I'm glad you teed me up for this and, and got me thinking about this. And, and really, it's just going to be, um, hopefully, just a, a finer point on, on something that I've talked about a lot already today. But it's just um, uh, uh, be, be reckless with your experimentation. Not reckless like it may appear as though I, I am with, you know, burning things down or, or cutting off, um, you know, digits. But, <laughs> but when I say reckless, I mean just don't censor yourself. Try a new material. Just try try a new material, and of course, I'm going to say try something that's that's available that you can just find that you can source yourself. There's plenty of amazing materials that are manufactured and made for the purpose of art, but boy, I mean, anything that makes a mark, that's an art tool. Anything that leaves a mark, that's an art material, and just just play with it. I don't care what your medium is. Like, there's always something else. If you're if you're painting, try a non-traditional, uh, you know, tool to apply paint. And again, this is for everyone who doesn't have it all figured out. So if you've got it all figured out, <laughs> and and your whole deal is dialed in, like keep going, keep doing that, right? But if you're interested in seeing, you know, what else might be possible, um, that's, that's, that's my homework is just, is just try new things, try different subject matter, try different colors, try different materials, you know, go to, uh, here, let's be specific about it. Go to your local hardware store, go to, go to your local Home Depot and, uh, spend less than $20 on three different things and just see what you can do. <laughs> Add it to what like you're already that. doing, but um, you'll have some fun. You'll have some fun. There's some, there's some crazy some crazy things that were manufactured. They didn't even know they were making art material, but they they were. As soon as you start using it for art, it's now an art material. Just just don't tell anybody because they'll charge you ten times the That's price right. for it. That's right. Store, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a fact. So, I'm curious uh, now if people want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you online? Um, Where you most active? Well, my wife still gives me a hard time about this, but I, I do respond to uh, to comments and and uh, and DMs on Instagram. That's probably the the best way to uh, uh, to find me. My website is just my full name, Nathan Terborg, um, T E R B O R G dot com, and uh, uh, that's a, a great way to also sign up for my newsletter, which I do quarterly, just kind of an update on on what I've been up to. Send out my recent catalog and videos and news and updates and all that fun stuff. That's fantastic. Uh, now, before I let you go, I'm curious about maybe what's the best advice you've ever received in your creative pursuits? Probably just there are no rules. I mean, I think I, I learned a lot from um, uh, from Ty, uh, who, who I did the podcast with, but in his mentorship program, um, you know, that's one of the things that um, that he did for me was just give me permission <laughs> to give myself permission, right? Like I didn't need permission, you know, from him no more than you need it or anyone who's listening, uh, you know, does for me or anybody else. But the gift of giving yourself permission to just try new things and experiment I think that's the that's the best gift that that you can give yourself because again let's be real I mean in most areas of life there 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 is a right and a wrong way to do mo you know most things or an acceptable and an unacceptable way right. um you know to to do uh most most things if I told uh you know my wife hey I I got some new ideas on how this marriage is going <laughs> 
<laughs> that may or may not go great if I tell my, uh, you know, my the people that expect me to pay bills, hey, here's here's a, the new schedule, or here's what I'm going to pay this month. Like most of adult life, you know, has responsibilities and, and has a, a certain way that things you know need to be done. And I think that if you can give yourself permission to create a space for yourself, a physical space, but also a headspace around when I'm in this mode, there are no rules and I get to do like you are the you are the master of your own kingdom, you know, when when you're creating whatever that kingdom looks like and embrace that, you know, and not if but when the voices come in, they're they're probably not yours, but those voices of, oh, what's so so and so gonna think about this? I've caught myself doing this is embarrassing to admit, but I'll but I will for the for the sake of making my point. I've had moments where I've been, you know, making and I'll envision a comment from some random ass person who I've never met, <laughs> who may or may not even, you know, be 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 real, you know, commenting something about a piece that I haven't even finished yet that I may not even end up saying is done or sharing, like that. But that's 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 how crazy our 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 head can be, and that's how many lies you know our our mind tells us um at different times and so I think that you know divorcing yourself from engaging with other people's opinion is uh, a really a really a really good practice, especially the imaginary ones the the real ones yes. too for the most part, but especially <laughs> the ones that haven't even taken place yet, you know, um, and just again embrace the the gift that is being able to to live and dwell and create your own creative space, your own creative world, and let that then drive um, the work. That's fantastic, uh, Nathan. This has been incredible. Um, I'd like the opportunity that I've had to have you to myself for this extended period of time. But I think what makes it special is that we're able to share this through uh, YouTube, through this video, and for those listening through audio uh, platforms that they're able to kind of share and, and, and listen to this conversation. So I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate this. Uh, I hope you had fun. I had a blast. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. And I want to thank you for the opportunity. And for uh, I, I likewise have o- always enjoyed you know hearing your voice on uh, on Clubhouse and the moment that I heard the other podcast I was like that makes sense I mean this guy's got a voice that just it's just it's butter it's liquid gold baby <laughs> I, lo- I love it so appreciate you and everything you're doing for uh, uh, for your work and for the work of others as well thanks Nathan my pleasure take care show notes including links to everything Nathan and I spoke about can be found at drawinginspiration.fm/slash one oh nine. If you enjoyed the show, please share with someone you think may find it helpful with their creative journey. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other and keep drawing. The music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.